This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3542 for Tuesday the 1st of March 2022. Today's show is entitled, The Worst Car I Ever Had. It is posted by Beezer and is about 11 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is, Beezer releases 30 years of frustration about a particularly dreadful car he once owned. Hello, this is Beezer. I've been noting Ken Fallon's call for shows, and it's got me thinking of a subject that most HPR listeners will have some experience of, so that if all else fails, new shows could be created at short notice. One, sub- one such subject is out of cars. Just about every HPR listener probably is or has been a car driver, and most of us will have owned a number of vehicles. Some would have been good, some not so good, but possibly one or two have been truly dreadful, to the extent we simply cannot erase them from our memories. An occasional series that most of us could probably contribute a show to when others are running short might be the worst car I ever had. To kick things off, here's my contribution. My first car was not actually the worst. In fact, it was not that bad at all, despite being 20 years old. It was a 1964 Vauxhall Viva Deluxe. What gave it the Deluxe label was the fact that it had a heater. That fact might be astonishing now, but it was not so unusual when that car was built. By far the worst was an Austin Metro. Strictly speaking, it belonged to my girlfriend, now my wife, but I probably drove it at least as much as she ever did. My own preferred mode of transport back then in the late 80s was a Honda motorcycle. The Metro was a British-made four-seat hatchback car, which was originally intended to replace the hugely successful Mini, which had become a worldwide hit and even a cult car in some quarters. The Mini was small, as its name suggests, but made very effective use of every cubic inch of interior volume. It was reliable, it was nimble, and it had great road holding. The Metro was still a small car, but it was a bit bigger than the Mini. It came in a number of versions from a basic two-door model with no creature comforts to a four-door so-called luxury version with more comfortable seats, electric windows, a sunroof and a reasonable audio system. On paper, the Metro built upon the Mini by giving you a bit more of everything. More legroom, more luggage space, a slightly bigger engine. That's where the advantages ended though, on paper. In reality, the Metro was a heap. At least the early models were. You could almost watch them rusting before your eyes. They were unreliable and some of the design was nonsensical. But you only discovered that when you tried to fix things yourself. My missus had inherited the Metro from her dad. She had learned to drive in it, so understandably it held a a lot of sentimental value for her as he had recently passed away. It was about five years old at the time, but it felt a lot older. There was always a damp, musty smell when you got in, and that only cleared as the engine warmed up and the heater started to work. Starting it from cold was a hit-and-miss affair. It was fortunate we lived in a flat with a gently sloping parking area. On a cold, misty morning, if the engine didn't start first or second go, the chances are you'd have to stand outside the car with the driver's door open, get it rolling down the slope, and then jump in to bump-start the engine on the clutch. 
Some days even that didn't work, and you'd have to spray all the ignition parts with WD-40 in hope of removing the moisture. Then sit there trying the starter again, keeping your fingers crossed that you didn't run the battery flat in the process. On the assumption that perhaps my mechanic skills were not as good as I thought they were, I got the car professionally serviced once, and even bought a new battery, but it made not one bit of difference. One day the engine completely seized up as I was waiting for some traffic signals to change. The oil was clean and there was plenty of it, but the engine had nonetheless locked solid. After having the car towed to a garage, it was checked over and the verdict was it would cost more to fix the engine than to buy a reconditioned replacement. Even that would cost broadly what the car was worth. I would gladly have said goodbye to it there and then, but my wife's sentimental attachment to the Metro won the day. A couple of weeks later, the car was back with, in effect, a new engine. It certainly started more easily and ran more smoothly, but the good news didn't last long. We started having problems with electrics. The headlights would sometimes just go up for no apparent reason and then come back on again minutes later. The indicators would often glow but not flash. One by one, all the interior lights started to pack up. Replacing fuses and bulbs were fixing for a while, but they soon start to fail again. One day, the instrument lights stopped working. It was the depths of winter, so they had to be fixed. I just assumed it was a matter of undoing a few screws somewhere and putting in a few new bulbs. It was then that I discovered that the entire instrument cluster had to be removed to access the single bulb that illuminated it via some translucent plastic strips that distributed the light from that single source. Then it turned out you could not remove the instrument cluster with the steering wheel in place. So that had to be removed as well. All this one bulb. Complete madness. With only a couple of thousand miles covered since the engine had been replaced, the Metro had to go in for its annual safety test, known in the UK as an MOT. But for the amount of money that had been spent recently in the car, I would have been quite pleased if it had failed on something serious, because that would justify getting rid of it. Against the odds, though, the tests were passed, and a day later we drove down from Birmingham for a weekend in Wiltshire, in the south of England. On the way back, there was a sudden banging from underneath the car, and then the engine oak turned to a raucous roar. Something was clearly very wrong, so I pulled over to the side of the road and looked underneath. Almost the entire exhaust system, from the engine backwards, had broken off and was now gone, presumably lying in a road a few hundred yards back. This was a car that had been formerly passed as safe and roadworthy just two days earlier. We couldn't stop from laughing hysterically as it was just one more chapter in this Metro's catalogue of woe. I didn't bother to go back to retrieve the remains of the exhaust, what would be the point? It must have been held together to rust to have simply fallen apart like that. After a very noisy and rough running 50 miles, we got back home to Birmingham. The following day, I contacted the garage where the MOT had been carried out, demanding to know how they could have missed the disintegrating exhaust system. All they were saying was that it must have been okay when they checked it, otherwise the car would have failed the MOT. We'd clearly been ripped off by the garage, but with the evidence lying beside a road an hour's drive away, I wasn't really in a position to do anything about it. This was, however, the last straw. We'd had enough of throwing good money after bad, that even sentiment wasn't enough to keep that car any longer. 
I managed to get a park used exhausters from, from Breaker's Yard, and a bloke there even connected to the car for me. After that, the car was put up for sale. My missus bought another car and gave up on the Metro. I decided to try and carry on using it, though, to get to work until it was sold. But as a final gesture of disgust towards me, the Metro started playing up once more. It was a struggle to get it started from cold, just as it had been with the old engine. And a couple of times I had to enlist the help of colleagues to give me a push to get the engine running in order to get home. On my last drive in the Metro, it stalled at some traffic lights. And it was only because I was on a hill that I was able to coast under the power of gravity to bump start it back into life. No more. I was done with it. Nobody was interested in buying the Metro, not surprisingly. We got perhaps three calls in response to the adverts we placed in a local newspaper, but nobody even came round to take a look. When my missus casually mentioned this to her brother on the phone, he said he'd have the car to teach his wife to drive. One minor problem was that he lived up in Aberdeen, in the northeast of Scotland. I told him I wouldn't trust the car to get me four miles, never mind the 400 he would need to drive to get it home. He said he'd take a chance because if it broke down, his car rescue policy had a get-you-home facility so the car would get to Aberdeen one way or another. The Metro had a couple more twists in store for us. On a snowy Friday evening, my future brother-in-law flew down to collect the Metro and I arranged to meet him at the airport. I got into our shiny, almost-new Daihatsu, turned the key, and nothing. The battery was completely flat. It would have taken ages to get out to the airport by public transport, but before resorting to that, in a moment of sheer madness, I got the keys to the metro and tried to start that. With the first turn, the engine fired up, and with just the odd misfire, it got me the 15 miles to the airport and then back home again. I just couldn't believe it. The next day, we packed brother-in-law Mike into the metro with blankets, piles of sandwiches and a big flask of coffee convinced he would soon be broken down at the side of the motorway. With an unhealthy amount of smoke coming from the exhaust, we waved him off. Some 12 hours later, we got a call from Mike. He was back in Aberdeen, and most astonishingly, so was the Metro. The journey not been without its mechanical challenges, but the car had made it. When I next spoke to him a few weeks later, I asked Mike how his wife was getting on with the car. She wasn't. After that 400-mile drive, the engine never ran again. Various people took a look at it, but all declared there was too much wrong with the car to be worth spending any money on it. Soon afterwards, the Metro ended up in a Scottish scrapyard. I don't care to think of how much money we spent keeping it on the road when it would have made financial sense to just dump it. I mentioned at the beginning that it was the early models which were particularly bad. My mother, against my advice, bought a much later model of Metro a few years back. While it was still prone to rusting to some extent, it was a very much better car than the one that had blighted my life and my finances. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR is kindly provided by anhonesthost.com. 
the Internet Archive and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.